Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. I'm a cyclist, not simply in the sense that I ride a bike, but in the sense that some people are socialists or Christian fundamentalists or ethical realists, that is. Cycling is my ideology, a system of thought based on purity and economy of motion, kindness to the environment and drop handlebars, and I want to convert others. You're listening to the Arabug Radio Show here at 3CR, where we will get rid of your blues. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now. And if you're listening, I'm sorry, I thought I was going to get through this properly for once. It is uh, one of Melbourne's great swing days, actually. Two days ago we were sweltering, or yesterday, and a lovely cool change came through. It's springtime. Time for bikes, birds, bees, green trees. Hey, hey, Hey fever. fever. It all comes as one big package. (laughs) And to try and get rid of some of the blues or maybe look at some of the things that are causing you to be unhappy as far as cycling in Melbourne, we joined Nick Yao from the Yarra Melbourne Bug. Sorry, Nick. Good morning. I'm on it. Uh, Hi, Val. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, working all the... Faith, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Val. I made a, um, f- uh, a vow to myself this morning. I would try to get through at least part of the show without stumbling or not flicking the dice. But anyway, that has moved on. That quote this morning from uh, was from the Independent, a journalist Robert Hughes, about 2005, I think it was. Not sure about the drop handlebars, but he must be under 60, I imagine. We're going to touch on a few things in the show today. Mostly we're going to our continuing narrative with dockless bike share schemes. Nick's just back from China for how long were you in China for, Nick? Uh, three weeks on this occasion. Three weeks and riding them. Rel- 
I rode the share bikes in four Chinese cities, um, and uh, so was everybody else. There we go. And the other thing we'll touch on, if you're not acquainted with an article published by uh, uh, Fairfax from um, Marie Polcamp um, on the still the gender divide and what's happening in cycling, especially in Melbourne. But first, we've been waiting. Fave spike moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a really inspiring one. Um, I set off this morning and I think today was meant to be a low pollen count day compared to yesterday. But uh, as you turn up Napier Street from uh, Fitzroy Pool, you get all those little curly pollen things coming down off the trees and I got that tickle in my throat, just uh, the, the one that doesn't go away. And um, it got a bit awkward. I was about to overtake some guy and then had a coughing fit, so I had to s- drop behind him and then got stuck in that thing where <laughs> you, 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 you think you've stopped coughing so you go to move again and it starts again. So there's, there's some guy who's telling his colleagues at work about this woman who sat right behind him coughing all the way up Napier Street. My apologies. <laughs> Wheel sucking comes naturally to some people. I've I got couldn't to say. breathe. <laughs> but that's what he'll be saying. Yes. Fanning him, she got a free ride all the way up Napier Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick, you got something to share? Yeah, a few um, a few weeks ago, I was riding home in the late evening from a circus show in Shanghai on a share bike uh, belonging to Offo Company, which is talking to Sydney and wants to come to Melbourne as well. They've got about three quarters of a million bikes scattered around Beijing. And um, it was a warm evening in Shanghai. The weather there was just beautiful a few weeks ago. And I stopped for a drink at a milk bar and then I got back on another share bike and kept going and I ended up taking my shirt off. It was so lovely and just a beautiful ride over bridges and underpasses that are just for bikes um, lots of other people on two-wheelers, some of them electric two-wheelers, and it was just the most beautiful ride of the whole trip. There you go. About 12k home from the circus. No. On the way home? On the way home, yeah. Oh. yeah. It was interesting. I came out of the circus that there won't be any bikes. You know, they will have all disappeared, but the tourists are all getting into their big buses, and there were lots of O-bikes. There's lots of O-bikes, um, sorry, OFO bikes everywhere, Um and five years ago, when I was in Beijing and Shanghai, um, there was nobody riding bikes in the suburbs, pretty much. Um, there were bikes in the centre of town, but out in the suburbs, not nothing. And now, it's bikes have come back. They're just everywhere. And 80% of the people I saw riding bikes are sitting on share bikes. And it's brought cycling back to Chinese cities. It's amazing. Yeah. And I sometimes think, um, just to pick up one part of what you're talking about, say if you've been to a show or a film or something, that 20, 30-minute bike ride on the way home sometimes gives you a chance to go over what you'd seen and actually think about it a little bit more than if you were, anyway, sitting on a train or anything. My bike moment isn't half as pro as that, It's National Ride to Work Day in Melbourne. And... I've got to say, I love this day. I'm along the Capital City Trail at one of the red lights and there must be 20 or 30 people there ready to take off. And I would say a little bit over half or maybe a little bit under half. The takeoff, the wobble, 
the wrong gear back towards the other thing. It was just watch, <laughs> nice to watch <laughs> people haven't ridden the bike for you know longer than ten minutes getting getting back on the feel of it. A different ballet to it the was, normal. It was or... very unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> Modern dance. Yeah, not a not a intended wobble, but something that just <laughs> comes naturally. Anyway. A little bit of bike news happening. There's not an awful lot, I've got to say, on the athletes on bikes thing. There's, um, I'm not sure people remember, Chris Wiggins had a um, couple of exemptions to use corticosteroids and two of the Tour de France's and one of the Giro, and that's starting to get a little bit complicated now. Not that we're surprised. Not that I'm saying anything at all. And another cyclist tested uh, positive for testosterone over the weekend just to, just to bring him up to speed. <laughs> And further in news, there was uh, um, an article was picked up by Fairfax that had been published earlier um, by Mary Polkamp, and uh, Fairfax gave it a um, a snappy headline, which uh, I don't think has uh, really helped the article much. But it was male cyclists of Melbourne. What the hell is your problem? And it was basically about the gendered abuse that uh, a female rider has discovered in Melbourne and coming from a country where that's not normal um, came as quite a surprise to her and I think the interesting thing for me was that this was shared around on quite a few cycling forums over the weekend and um, I mean my experience has been training women to ride Um, you know I was a bit alarmed by the number of women who this you know, we, we got them turning up to training programs thinking they'd want to learn how to negotiate a roundabout or a positioning on the road. And there were uh, pockets of even quite bike-friendly areas of Melbourne where the women's main issue was the abuse they got on the routes they choose to take. Um, so it's uh, caused a lot of discussion over the weekend. I think it was something everyone agreed is uh, an appalling situation. Um, but yeah, part of our culture here. Well, it's one of the three topics that Australia is a small country punches well above it. There, won't. <laughs> yes, that being misogyny. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're we have we're pretty practiced at this. Yeah, we're pretty good at it. Actually, you know, it's not until about five or six years ago that the bicycle count was made gender specific, so that we could work out why there aren't many women riding bikes and where, if they do ride bikes, they seem to be a better way to go. And this is one of the interesting things that occurred to me because people talked about, some people were saying, well, I've never experienced this and others. And it really does seem to centre around certain types of routes. And uh, we've talked about before how, for example, Napier Street in the city of Yarra is uh, a route that attracts a lot, not just the female riders, but riders who are more likely to be riding in a more relaxed style. Um, and the certainly one of the training courses we ran, the, all the women who turned up to that turned out to be women who were using Wellington Street. And that was the one where universally everyone turned up, very competent riders, but basically wanting training in how to deal with the abuse they copped on that route. So it's And Wellington Street and Napier Street are not very far apart and they both do the same thing. They both are direct routes into the city for riders from the north 
and yet they're very, very different uh, experiences for people on them. Yeah, so one's bike-friendly and one isn't, and it's the type of people who'll ride on the, the less friendly routes who are mm. behaving in that way. I mean, it sounds to me like, I mean, I don't have Faith's insight being of the wrong gender, but it sounds like a double whammy of the misogyny that Val mentioned and Australians' tendency to abuse each other and tell each other what to do all the time. Because, I mean, I get the second part of that, obviously not the first part. Well, and this is something we did mention in the course to these women, and I would say, as women, you're often expected to give up space to men, and as cyclists, you're often expected to give up space to motor vehicles, and you will, in both situations, often be abused as part of that expectation. So as female cyclists, when you're talking about how do you have the confidence to use your bike you are dealing with that double whammy of, you know, um, and some people feeling doubly entitled to tell you what to do. The the other interesting thing about this, of course, is which of Wellington Street or Napier Street did Yarra Council spend money putting in a separated line? Wellington Street. Yep. Not the safer one. Anyway. But, I, but I wonder whether the, the protected lane... Uh, is okay because there is room to overtake and and it's a different situation. I wonder whether the abuse occurs on the mm. open sections. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've certainly had – well, we were talking about this beforehand because this is a topic that we should discuss over and over again because change is going to be very slow. And a mid-50s woman who has now discovered cycling and cycling a lot of week, but she mentions the Gardner's Creek path with one and a couple of the other streets – has been where she's pretty sick of actually getting pushed around and abused on it. Yep. And this is somebody who has a natural joy, joyful approach to life. It's, um, There's a solution to this. The solution is to get vast numbers of people riding bikes so that, you know, it's not a young, strong, male-dominated thing and the culture changes because we get ordinary people riding bikes. Yeah. And that, I think that's an important part of it, that because of... As I can still mainly dominated by people who are thinking of it as a sport or a training opportunity, and uh, certainly with mandatory helmet laws, and that we have skewed our cycling population to one yep. small end of the spectrum, and it continues to put people off. And uh, we know for a fact, looking at the gender splits, it puts women off. But one point I often raise about that because we focus a lot on why why women ride, is that it still puts off 98% of men. Like, if you yeah. look at the numbers of men riding, it, it might be a lot more than women, but overall it's... And, and if you look at, you know, uh, men who aren't prepared to um, ride in a more aggressive style and do just want to enjoy their ride to work, it's, it puts them off as well. So it's, yeah, it's takes a big cultural change it's certainly something you know i think any sort of abuse like that has to be called out wherever you see it whether it's on the bike or elsewhere and it's just something you need to be really aware of and on top of if you don't want to end up uh ruining in, yeah and put in a position where i feel bad about something because actually you know people are generating this at yeah. me i mean and I heard a wonderful show the other day, which I'm now starting to realise. I mean, not starting to realise, sorry, I should rephrase this. The idea of second wave feminism was to de-gender everything. Now we're actually making 
different genders or different things for everything. Actually, it seems to be going the opposite way. And it's a bit like cycling. The road cyclist who tells the young woman on the step through on the basket to get out of the way and stuff like this, it's all part of that same thing. Well, happy topics. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I meant that. that I, th- I know it's about cyclists, but, I'm, you know... This idea that we have an innate misogyny in Australia is just played out over and, and over, over and again. over again. Yeah. Let's talk about something happy. St Kilda Road. What are we going to do with St Kilda Road, Nick? What are we going to do with St Kilda Road? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fix it up. Oh, gosh, there's a long history to St Kilda Road, which basically amounts to the City of Melbourne and the City of Port Phillip wanting safe bike lanes and the Government of Victoria preventing it. And a few months ago, the Premier of Victoria went on the radio to say we're having none of that in relation to safe bike lanes in St Kilda Road, despite the fact that his government was actually most of the way through the project of planning them. Um, so it's probably held up again. But um, Vic Roads uh, was looking at a centre of the road lane. The City of Port Phillip doesn't like that idea. And Melbourne Bug and I think Port Phillip Bug actually agree with that. We don't think the centre of the road lane is a great idea. Having said that, they would be a lot better than what's there now, but we've made a counter-proposal, which is recognising that the trees are due to be replaced um, because of their age, and the City of Melbourne prefers to replace a whole block at a time to keep an even-aged avenue, recognising that we've done a plan that puts the bike lane next to the footpath and then grass and trees and then the parking lane for cars so that there's space for cars going in and out to wait and they're not blocking the bike lane and they've crossing the bike lane at right angles with good visibility and so on and so forth. So we've come up with a safe plan we think is a lot better and which is more in tune with what we think is the market that bicycles can dominate and that's short trips. So a big road in the middle of St Kilda Road, a bike lane in the middle of St Kilda Road is great for the commuters from way out, um, but we, we think that they're always going to be a minority. There might be most of the people in St Kilda Road now, but in future we're, we think short trips, share bikes... Um, Local destinations are actually the bigger market, um, and that's where bike, why countries with high cycling participation, like Japan, China, Denmark, Netherlands, they don't have a single centre-of-the-road bike lane anywhere in any of those countries. This, can we just... Um, oh, I'm sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Is St Kilda Road still... Is it the number two or number one volume of bicycles? Uh, it's pretty close to, but it's in the I top three. Yeah, I can't give you stats on that. And it's but well over it's capacity. 3,000 yeah. a day, I think, yeah. or something. Yeah. It, it's pretty busy, and that's with terrible doors on bike lanes. Yeah. Imagine well, what we'd have if we had saved bike lanes. The next thing I was going to say was it, it is still the highest for hospitalisation and incidents involving bicycles and car doors in the whole of Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bike trips. No one has actually bothered to figure out the relative rates and so on, but, yes, there's a lot of doorings and a lot of other crashes involving bikes there. Yeah. So um, we've had a bit of time there. We've got all those metro plans and new infrastructure being built around Melbourne. This look, have, We've been planning this for how long? Two and a half, three years? The City of Melbourne had a draft master plan hmm. over eight years ago with oh. safe bike lanes. And as I said, they've been prevented by successive state governments from implementing it. And, I mean, how wide is St Kilda Road? You can't – there has to be room for safe bike lanes in there. Otherwise, it's just blatantly uh, anti-bike policy. That's what we're getting from the state government at the moment. 
And it's a St Kilda Road is a perfect example of continuing on from what we were just talking about, a route, as Nick said, that encourages commuters who are coming from a distance away. So it encourages a certain type of rider and it is very hard then to say to anyone else, get out on that bike lane and use it when it's going to be such an intimidating experience and when the bike lane isn't in really going to deliver them a safe route to for the shorter trips. Yeah, exactly. It's, and I think that centre of the road bike lane that Big Roads is proposing would have the same problem. Yeah. It'll be fast, long-distance commuters, and they'll be yelling at the slow people to get out of their way. No. And we've seen the same problems. You know, one of the change programs run in the last couple of years was by Darabin um, to address issues on the St George's Road bike path with commuters who are coming down trying to get into the city or home as fast as they can um, and being involved in that change program and interviewing riders about interactions with pedestrians, you know, hearing people who actually said to me, well, this is actually a freeway for bikes. There shouldn't be pedestrians on it and it's, it's, a, it's a shared path. I mean, you know, it's until it's designated a freeway for bikes, you're sharing it. But that's the sort of – it becomes really hard when the infrastructure you're building – confirms that sort of attitude. And and again, St Kilda Road has other dangers associated, so you have to be a, a reasonably aggressive, confident rider to use it. Um, so, it, yeah, it's we know there's a huge proportion of people who keep saying they're interested in using bikes, but we don't build for them and we don't create environments for them. But we know the problems here. Yeah. We've identified it. Yarra Council about... I shouldn't stop... I should stop beating up on Yarra Council, but <laughs> Yarra Council spent a lot of money going through all their parks and their shared pedestrian yeah. bike lanes, taking out the centre line so it didn't look like a road, putting pictures of prams and bells, bells. and say hello yeah. to each other. I didn't realise Yarra Council's got a nudge department, but, it, you know, that whole idea is we need to address it. And as a Karen from from Darabin Council, they spent money and a lot of time trying to get people to cool down a little bit. Yeah. If I walk across the road from my local park, there's a beautiful shared path that goes along the, the Yarra River. You can't walk on it, though. You can't take your dog for a walk on it. You can't take your mother and walk on it because it's just flat-out buzz, buzz, buzz. Yeah, but, I mean, the issue is there needs to be a bike-only lane separate yep. from the footpath. Again, like high cycling countries do. And just like Beaconsfield Parade, where we do it and we f- do it and everybody's happy and it's a high volume. I'm trying to think <laughs> where Beaconsfield Parade is. Oh, sorry, you know, along the, along on, the beach. On the bay. Oh, yeah, yeah, separated. Yeah, yeah. there's a pedestrian exactly. yeah. uh, thing. And that was put in 12, 15 years and ago. You know, Vic Rhodes insisted that the trees should be between the bike lane and everybody else yep. because they didn't want the cars banging into the trees. They oh, prefer no. the cars to bang into the bikes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got insurance companies just like everybody else. <laughs> so talking about long-term planning, I noticed a small thing that um, Bicycle Network mentioned this week, which hasn't – I don't know. I haven't. No one else has uh, picked this up and it's, it's, it's one of those stories where you kind of wonder, is it – um, a bit of a non-story. The state government has committed to, to an accelerated rollout of a network of strategic cycling corridors over the next 15 years. And I, there's so much in that first sentence that... Oh, like ticked. accelerated in 15 years. 
Well, that was the first thing. The other thing that is strategic cycling corridors, and I thought, oh, is that more of those St George's Road bike path, the the big long commuter corridors, like that isn't um, really. I mean, the one the one thing people complain about is connections, and and I guess there's a, you know, you have to look at do the state government pay is that local government or and do state government maybe do the big uh, projects, but. Um, that was released by Bicycle Network this week. Um, it's a very vague sort of... The acceleration comes from the fact that these projects are from Infrastructure Victoria's 30-year plan. Um, so... Plans are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much concrete... Uh, Come on, it's aspirational. <laughs> and the so, Premier will say we'll have none of that. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We won't be spending money on that. No. <laughs> it's become one of my favourite phrases. Elliot Fishman first brought it in here, mm. actually, or well, I heard it first on the radio. You'll be having none of that. <laughs> it's a great reply. Nick, we should talk about dockless bikes in China and actually. Yeah, and in Melbourne and in yep, Sydney. And in mm. Sydney, mm. yeah. Yeah, as I said, it's it's brought cycling back to Chinese cities. And, and as I... Um, you know, just contrast with the city of Melbourne, which is doing its best to discourage and, and get rid of the share bikes. Uh, contrast it with the city of Sydney, which is working with those share bike companies to make it work um, and, and providing space for them. And, and contrast it with the Chinese government that's, that's asked the municipalities, that's the polite term, ask the municipalities <laughs> to provide space for share bikes. And they are. Um, because, I mean, China's got a pollution imperative at the moment, um, but they'll be getting a massive health benefit already mm. from, from, the, from the rights they're getting and the population has just picked it up. It's making transit more attractive and I would say it's probably going to eat into the number of electric two-wheelers. And incidentally, the Chinese roads tend to have big wide bike lanes. Um, it's all a bit chaotic there, um, but you see you know, middle-aged women and young people riding bikes, all demographics, quite happily in, in this, amidst this confusion and the reason is because well, I looked at the way car drivers operate and the electric two-wheelers, and it's pretty clear to me they've got some strong vulnerable road user law going there. And uh, that's been confirmed with a small amount of research so far. And you should see how careful the cars are going through intersections. It's a, it's um, and, and you'll see pedestrians walking out in front of cars mm. quite confidently and so on. So, you know, there's a number of things in the mix there. Um, but yeah, contrast it to the city of Melbourne, where they take the share bikes off the street and crush them, uh, and they just and uh, we've heard not a word from the city of Melbourne, you know, condemning vandals who've been throwing bikes in the river. It seems to be you know our fault, blame the victim as usual. Um, so, I think that share bikes are a potential game changer, as they have been in China. I think, um, and we're seeing people riding those share bikes who don't ride bikes for local trips to the shops mm. out in the suburbs. And um, it's, it's a, a game changer that could make a huge difference to our city and could make cycling dominant for short trips. And we need to be getting behind it and supporting it, unlike what the city of Melbourne is doing. No, and the interesting thing is, actually about nine, ten years ago, Beijing ran a program to get rid of bikes in Beijing. They wanted to encourage everybody to get a car. And of course now it's produced this pop, huge pollution problem. Pollution and congestion. Yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. they've got very good metros in the Chinese cities but you'll see people, there's a there's always dozens of share bikes outside the metro and you can be just sure of that there'll be one for you when you need it anywhere. Well they, they address what 
was one of the major problems with Melbourne bike share is that they're just not where you need them. They're not access. You know, they're so few scattered around. Um, they defeat the purpose of that convenience that share bike schemes are meant to have. That's an interesting point. I mean, some some bike shares have worked well. Fixed fixed dock bike shares have worked well. But yeah, absolutely, having the bikes just everywhere, and you and you've got to have a lot of them. I mean. Pardon me, O-Bike can get a bike on the street here for, I don't know, about $60. It pays itself off in a few weeks. That means that you can go volume, and it's the volume that produces that, yep. that absolute convenience. Yeah. Um, and it, I also think that when you get heaps of people riding these bikes around, um, then it's going to change the streets, and it's going to change the, de- the demand for infrastructure. And quite often, the people riding the bikes, those those bikes haven't got helmets on because there wasn't one with the bike. And I think it's going to change the police attitude to enforcement as well. And I've noticed the police are already not enforcing helmet law on those bikes. No. I've watched people riding past. I've got to tell you a wonderful story just before we get off this. I was speaking to somebody the other day who a policeman had pulled her over and fined her for not having a belt. She took it to the magistrate's court. The magistrate told the policeman, why don't you stop wasting everybody's time? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> News um, and events coming up. Peddling art. Oh, I can't read this. <laughs> Sorry. Is that the Moreland? Uh, Moreland? No, this no, one's down at Port Phillip. So this is being run by Port Phillip Bicycle User Group, November 20. 20- Second, it's a, a bike ride checking out some local art. So you can find the details for that at bikefund.org. Um, but yeah. also coming up... And city of, and, the, and the Port Phillip Bug runs regular rides, great rides, and I recommend you look at their website and keep up with it. Yeah, well worth checking. The uh, More, art Bar, More Art Festival is on again, as Nick mentioned, and this year, since the uh, squeaky wheel is no longer with us, the bike rides are going to be run by Projector Bike and Art Aficionado Tours. So there's several dates starting from November the 23rd, um, and they will include two of the rides will include projections as well. So you can check those out, um, Googling more art bike rides and Projector Bike, and we'll put a link up in the podcast. You've been listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show on 3CR. 3CR depends on your support to stay on the air, so you can make a donation or subscribe at 3cr.org.au. Coming up next is Jailbreak. But we can't say what we've seen And we're not little children And we know what we want And the future is certain Give us time to work it out You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.